Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Good day, good night, and welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark, it's been a really busy last seven to eight days. It all started with Formula E, and we'll talk about it later on the show, but I have to say, being up close with those cars, it doesn't matter if they don't go as fast, it doesn't matter if they don't have necessarily any gasoline, the feeling of being next to the track is always fun. Yeah, absolutely. And it has been a very busy 10, 15 days there, especially for you. First of all, Formula E, the same weekend as the Hungarian Grand Prix, and then off for several days down to MLS All-Star Game in Chicago. But we're back doing our thing here and enjoying the the, the, the break. As much as I dislike the break in the action for Formula One, it is nice to be able to sort of catch our breath a little bit. But where shall we start? There are so many things to talk oh. about that have gone on we didn't get a chance what with you being away last week to to catch up and uh recap the hungarian grand prix so i I guess we can almost start anywhere we want to well ferrari a double uh two uh well first position and second position for ferrari you don't see that too often and it was the exact opposite that was expecting i was pretty sure and i said it on the show I was kind of expecting mercedes to to dominate and lewis hamilton to come back and have a great showing but for some reason, the Ferrari had a very, very fast car. Like, it had pace, and it it wasn't lying all throughout the weekend, and it performed on the Sunday. That's right, and it was interesting, too, uh, what with uh, Vettel having that uh, problem with the steering on his car. Kind of makes me wonder how much he was holding up the cars behind him, because uh, as the race went on, they got a little bit compacted there. And I don't think that there's any question that uh, Raikkonen and probably Bottas could have gone faster than him, and, and, and Hamilton as well. But I, I think that uh, Vettel's speed was probably a little bit hampered what uh, with him not being able to ride up the curbs and really try and push the car as much as he might want to around the Hungarian ring to, to really find as much speed as he, as he wanted. But if there was a circuit... Where where you were, we're going to have that kind of problem. That and maybe Monaco is probably one of the places that you're one of go, going to have to have it because you can sit in front there and not necessarily have to really resort to desperate tactics to prevent the guy getting in, you know, past you because it's not really a circuit very much like Monaco is that is very conducive for overtaking. So that at least I think was a benefit for for Vettel. But I think just in general, I think it's a, a great result for. 
for Ferrari, obviously getting that one, two and beating Mercedes on the track in qualifying and in the race and gives them a, a bit of a feel good going into the summer break. And also what with Raikkonen getting that uh, second position, he's obviously been under fire and getting all sorts of uh, pressure from the brass at Ferrari that he needed to step up and the uh, their, their challenge in the Constructors Championship was suffering a little bit. So it was a win all around for the Scuderia. No, they needed those points from Raikkonen. That's what we've been talking about since a few months now, how the Constructors' Championship, because of Hamilton and Bottas, a little bit more consistency in high position for the amount of points, right? They've been winning or finishing second and third very often compared to Vettel, yes, Raikkonen, not as often. So all those points missed could be costly when it comes to the championship of the constructors. And with this result, 1-2, it kind of bridged that gap, which still exists and it's still going to be difficult, especially if we're seeing that pace come back for Mercedes after the break. We'll see. But for Ferrari, it's a, it's a good good aspect. Uh, questionable tactics, yes and no. Raikkonen was fast, uh, faster at some points. And you can say the same for Mercedes and how Hamilton decided to, you know what, I'm going to uh, give to, uh, how do you say it, uh, pass it, pass it forward? Well, that's what he did. And uh, Bottas got the podium on this one. Yeah, well, I think that was uh, fair enough. And I, I mean, if you've got uh, a guy that's a triple world champion in Lewis Hamilton getting on the radio to the pits, I mean, which was a bit of a miracle considering the problems that they were having with their radio transmissions yeah, like one in the way, first half of the race. It was like one way only. And uh, yeah. he had to basically like do Morse code or something to get <laughs> himself uh, understood. But no, it was, uh, it was, it must be difficult to imagine. Imagine doing a race and how used to using telemetry and communication and when all this is broken and at some point Toto Wolf mentioned we had nothing even us at Pitwall can you imagine how nerve-wracking it must be when it's out of your control and you don't have any of the data you're used to well especially in this day and age like you say I mean everything is so integrated between not only communications between the pit wall and the cars but also the telemetry that uh, that gets fed back to the pits to the engineers and all the decisions that get uh, made from that but of course they do have the old fashioned backup in the form of the, uh, the the pit board that gets stuck over the side of the pit wall every time the uh, the, the cars go by but that's strictly a one way thing so if you've got Lewis Hamilton saying come on guys you know I, I'm faster than uh, Valtieri let, let me pass and let me have a go at a at the Ferraris, how how do you do that? Uh, I mean, if he just goes by and waves, you know, <laughs> what's he trying to get through? But you know, joking aside, I, I thought that was fair enough uh, from Lewis because uh, obviously, w- if he feels he's faster and if he thinks he can challenge the Ferraris, and even on a track like Hungary where it is difficult to get past, I mean, you have to really take that into c- consideration. But it was interesting how I thought, especially on the last lap, that uh, even though Hamilton did have a go and never really was it really able to to put Raikkonen under a lot of pressure, try to get around him, how he did slow down. What was his last lap? About nine seconds slower or something like that. Basically, he just slowed up enough so uh, Botas could get around him at the the very last corner to get uh, the, the third, third uh, position, which was a fairly sporting gesture, but... Of course, it could come back to theoretically haunt Lewis Hamilton at the end of the season, because if it comes down to another nail biter at uh, Abu Dhabi at the end of November, as we've seen several times over the past couple of seasons, it uh, it, it could be a decision that uh, he might live to regret in a bid for his fourth world championship. So we'll have to wait and see. 
we'll see how big three points is because that would be the difference, right? If Hamilton would have finished third, it would have been 15 points. He got 12, finishing fourth. We'll see Verstappen finishing fifth. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary, but uh, one performance I was happy to see, Mark, was Fernando Alonso, sixth, and Stoffel van Dorn, tenth, two points position for McLaren. Alonso was there out of merit. The car was performing a lot better than anticipated. Not saying that the engine is good, but saying that slowly but surely, they're extracting everything out of it at least. Yeah, definitely. And going into Hungary, they were actually saying, or, or Fernando was at least, uh, saying that uh, he felt that they had a good opportunity to perform well and do well at Hungary, and they did. And I think that's uh, well-deserved. Obviously, it's been a nightmare season for the McLaren team. And much like Monaco, Hungary, like I say, I mean, it's 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 a street circuit that is not set in the middle of a, a city. I mean, it's obviously, it's tight, it's twisty, it's technical. It's uh, there, There's only a couple of uh, places to pass, being that, that first corner sometimes in the second corner, or maybe that third corner if you're uh, Kevin Magnuson and you just kind of push guys off of the track that try to get around you. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit later too. But it, uh, yeah, it uh, it is definitely a tricky place for anybody to try and get around. So it was good to see McLaren perform well and, and finally get a double points finish because it's been a long time coming. And I know that uh, they waited so long just for at least uh, Fernando to score some points. And it's uh, maybe, like you say, slowly but surely things are starting to go their way. Well, you kind of have to hope so, because uh, the longer it continues to go without an announcement, the more likely it is the next year McLaren will be with Honda. The fact that Sauber and Honda have decided to, you know what, we'll stop the partnership even before it starts, <laughs> brings me to maybe Honda will just continue to focus with McLaren for next year. I wouldn't be surprise but uh just to finish on the hungarian grand prix uh, what what is your take what is the feeling of vettel compared to hamilton heading into the break well i think if you're vettel you're probably feeling uh a, a little bit more i wouldn't say relaxed but i think uh, you're you're probably feeling you're getting a little bit of confidence back because obviously since monaco things haven't gone ferrari's way it's 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 pretty much been all mercedes uh, ever since i mean i mean take that uh, maybe take azerbaijan out of the picture because that was a, a bit of a a bit of a <laughs> i think a, an aberration what with all the safety cars and the way that that got uh, flipped around but i think it gives them a little bit of momentum going into the summer break because vettel he wasn't really competitive obviously in, in great britain and he had his problems and his clash with uh, with hamilton in uh, azerbaijan in canada lewis completely dominated so it was uh, it was about time that they got back to winning ways and and hamilton i mean he he's saying all the things that he wants to win the uh, a fourth world champion and uh, or championship and all that sort of stuff but he's he's going to have to do it from behind so at least if vettel keeps getting things going his way he's going to be able to at least kind of lead from the front. So we'll see in a couple of weeks when they go to Belgium, who's going to be more favored there, Ferrari or Mercedes? Are they going to be evened out when they get to that track? But I think if uh, if anything, you obviously can't 
count Lewis Hamilton out of the picture. But I think at least from a neutral point of view that uh, we're this far in the season already. And it's been a pretty even fight between the two teams. And I hope that as we go into the latter half of the season, that it's going to continue to be an even fight between uh, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes and between Hamilton and and Vettel. I think it's been very refreshing and uh, quite exciting this year. I mean, it's been great the last couple of years between uh, Rosberg and Hamilton, but it gets a little bit kind of tiring when you see one guy from the same team winning each and every week. So it's been refreshing. And of course, uh, we've seen some other guys too get uh, a win here or there. And uh, uh, obviously Daniel Ricciardo. So that was uh, nice. And uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens the last nine races of the year. It took over a year, but we're starting to see maybe some friction at Red Bull between the two drivers over the last few races. Well, a couple races. There's been some incidents involving the two drivers with one resulting of Daniel Ricciardo not even finishing uh, one lap, I think, in this one. Yeah. So, well, that's uh, correct, yeah. Exactly. So uh, what does it say for Verstappen, for Ricardo? Ricardo's starting to say that uh, his teammate needs to be maybe a little more conservative. Is it the aggressiveness of Max Verstappen eventually going to cost him? Well, I, I think maybe it was a little bit of desperation to an extent from uh, Verstappen. I mean, he was pretty honest after the race saying that uh, he went into the corner, he locked up and then just uh, drifted into uh, Ricardo and smashed into the side pod and burst his radiator and then he ended up spitting out in the fluids from his own car. And I mean, he didn't even make it, what, a third of the way around the circuit? And it was also interesting what uh, Ricardo had to say when they when when they asked him if it was just uh, Verstappen's youthful enthusiasm, and uh, he he kind of politely said, "No, it's it's something else other than that." And the, supposedly they cleared the air after the, the the Grand Prix. But the thing is, I mean, Verstappen has obviously had some uh, some problems this year with the car. His engines given up on him several times, and he had that uh, clash at the first corner when uh, he got torpedoed by the torpedo <laughs> and Alonso at the first corner. So, I mean, he's obviously had a very frustrating season, so maybe he's trying to be a little bit uh, too enthusiastic, but to take your teammate like uh, out like that is uh, is obviously not the thing to do, and he's contrite. But the thing is, Ricardo quietly has been having quite a good season. I mean, uh, Red Bull obviously has not lived up to the expectations that we had. We always had the feeling that they were going to be the third best team after Ferrari and Mercedes, but uh, I, I think we were expecting them to make out or make up a little bit of ground once the season started. But even though they really haven't, I mean, Ricardo had a pretty impressive run there. What was it? What, five consecutive podiums. He had a win in between there. So, he, and and obviously he had the problem in uh, in Great Britain in, in qualifying, and you know, just he's had a couple of frustrating races now as well. So, the, you can see that's the that the tensions are starting to boil over, whether or not they're nearing kind of a boiling point as they probably have several times at Force India over the last uh, couple of months. Maybe we're not quite there yet, but definitely I think there there is going to be a little bit of friction and uh, maybe a little bit, I don't know, distance between those two sides of the garage at, uh, at Red Bull Racing. We're right in the middle of the summer break, but there's still some news trickling down the F1 wire, Mark, Ferrari could make Sauber its junior Formula 1 team. So basically, what Toro Rosso is to Red Bull, we could maybe see Sauber towards Ferrari in the very near future. 
I think this is an interesting one, and it does make sense. And it's kind of logical when you think about it, because they obviously have had Ferrari power units for the last several years. And it, it was, I have to be quite honest with you, Kevin, when there was that announcement that came out a couple of months ago that they were considering switching to Honda for 2018. I Honestly, I, I did a bit of a double take. And I, I know that uh, they're running a year old Ferrari spec engine, which obviously is not ideal, designed for a basically a completely different car than the ones that uh, it's powering this year. So obviously, it's going to be underpowered and just not going to be able to perform as well of, uh, as some of the 2017 specification engines. But still, it's a Ferrari engine. You have that relationship with the Ferrari. So if you have that uh, opportunity to negotiate with Ferrari to get a newer specification engine or an unproven or an unreliable and yet to deliver the goods Honda engine, I think I'm going to take my chances and stick with uh, with Ferrari. Even if I get the, a, <laughs> a year-old power unit, maybe you're not going to be quite as fast as maybe the Honda is, but it's reliable at least. Yeah, and there, there has been talk. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about how Sauber and Honda decided to not do the partnership starting next year? And the rumors was, well, maybe Sauber is actually going to work out a better deal with Ferrari itself. And then if you add this rumor now, maybe it all makes sense. Maybe Sauber will have two young Ferrari drivers instead of the drivers they have now. And Verline and uh forget his name now. Uh, <laughs> Ericsson. Uh, Ericsson, thank you. Actually, you met him this year too. Anyways, Ericsson and Verline might find a job somewhere else and you put two young Ferrari drivers there, but you, in exchange, have a better MGU and MGUK and you have a better drivetrain and better transmission and you have a better car because you have a better partnership with Ferrari. Maybe it's a good, good trade-off. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the the guy that obviously seems like the odd man out at the omen would be Pascal Verline, obviously being one of the uh, Mercedes drivers. So you have to wonder if there is uh, that, uh, that arrangement between Sauber and Ferrari more official than just, say, being a, an engine supplier to the team, whether they would be keen to give a drive to uh, a Mercedes driver. And, and, and Ericsson is just one of those guys that just happens to have a lot of sponsorship, so he brings a lot of money with him. You know, last year that was uh, Harry Ando for a while, then Felipe Nazar, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the the list goes on of these uh, pay drivers. So to maybe have that, uh, you know, Ferrari backing and the money that goes into it, and then Ferrari gets a chance to put some of their own younger drivers into Formula One, and uh, yeah. because, I mean, they don't put typically or they, they historically have never really put young guys in their cars in, in, the, in no, Ferrari. Never. So never yeah. like I think you have to be 30 to drive a Ferrari or something. I think there's there's <laughs> so, an unwritten rule or somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> At least. So, yeah, I mean, but, I, I totally uh, agree. It makes a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense, too, with the rumors that Alfa Romeo, which is a subsidiary of Fiat and Ferrari, could be involved in Formula One. Does it all make sense? Sauber, Alpha, Romeo? Maybe it, it does. It kind of makes you wonder if uh, they'll just uh, rebrand it, right? Which uh, which would be kind of interesting because uh, I believe the facility that Sauber has now was built with BMW money way back uh, when they were in Formula One, uh, you know, over a decade ago. Uh, so Back in the Villeneuve days. The, yeah. Literally. 
so yeah, I mean, it would be kind of ironic if, uh, or maybe not ironic, but it would be kind of a, an interesting turn of events if uh, if uh, they do partner this up and uh, say they do rebrand and, uh, and Sauber becomes uh, Alfa Romeo. would <laughs> be kind of cool. And I think it would be kind of neat to see uh, Alfa Romeo in Formula One and kind of see more manufacturers. So definitely going to be a, a situation to keep uh, keep an eye on, but also just sort of talking about these sorts of things. I mean, the, there, there are so many kind of rumors going around right now, sort of silly season. We, we, we were talking uh, before we started uh, recording the show that uh, perhaps uh, the Stroll family may be getting involved in uh, <laughs> running their own team if the rumor mill is to be believed. Well, apparently Lawrence, Lawrence Stroll would be a, a potential buyer of Force India. Uh, Force India, and I'm not even going to try to mention the two names of the owner, but uh, the, the two owner of Force India right now are in some... Uh, some law trouble so in their <laughs> respective countries and could be a good time to sell the team and Lawrence Stroll uh, not necessarily happy with Williams performance this year and having the opportunity to maybe buy Force India maybe would do take that opportunity and uh, make that transaction and look lo and behold give Lance Force India well that that would be a uh quite the turn of events if uh, that was to transpire and i do agree i think that the that the williams fw40 has been disappointing this year and it's it, it's funny too you look at some of the news and kind of some of the things that are coming out patty lois said that uh, they're keeping their their options open for 2018 claire williams has said quote that uh, that stroll has finally cracked formula one and then they're also very impressed with how Paul DeResta did when he filled in for Felipe Massa at the Hungarian Grand Prix, Grand Prix literally on the spur of the moment after he became unwell. <laughs> and, guy, and Massa himself, yeah. Poor guy had no chance to whatsoever to adapt and to, he had to learn everything about the car in like a 12 hour span. Poor, poor Paul. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty tough. And not only that, I mean, he, he, he did he have all the gear to properly fit. I think they said that his uh, boots were a couple of sizes too small. But I mean, he did great. And I think that was one of the stories that really made uh, the, the, the Hungarian Grand Prix a very enjoyable race was just watching how well he actually did. I mean, he didn't finish last in qualifying. He qualified, what, 19th ahead of Marcus Ericsson. I mean, for a guy that literally had only stepped into the car like <laughs> a couple of hours beforehand to actually do that. I mean, he improved, what was it, three or four seconds just during qualifying. I mean, he obviously didn't make it into the, the, the top 10 shootout at the end. But still, I mean, he did a great job. And I thought in the race, he did very well as, uh, you know, during the race as well. Unfortunately, he had to retire the car. But it kind of makes you wonder, does he have a, a legit claim to, to throw his name back into to Formula One for, for next uh, season? And I mean, it's based on what a, we saw. A silly, silly season if there is <laughs> such a thing. Well, it usually is. And I mean, you can also throw Robert Kubica's name in uh, in there as well. I mean, he's uh, been doing uh, quite a bit of testing for Renault this uh, this year. I mean, he tested <laughs> the other <laughs> week in Hungary as well and has uh, set some very impressive lap times. So who knows? Could if we see Robert Kubica back? If you're Julian Palmer, you're starting to feel the heat of the seat because it's getting quite hot. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, he's had a bit of tough luck, but I mean, he did have the new floor and everything in Hungary and still couldn't quite crack the the, the top 10 shootouts and just uh, couldn't get it done again. And if you have a guy like uh, Kubica, that's, uh, I mean, he's he's put in some long sessions too. I mean, I believe he did uh, something uh, 144. 
two or 145 laps in Hungary. So, I mean, he's put a lot of miles on the car. And also uh, a month or two ago when uh, when he got behind the wheel as well, he did uh, some, uh, you know, put some significant miles on the car as well. And that was an older spec car. So that, that really begs the question that if uh, Kubica is able to drive, and I think at this point in time, he's proven that despite that horrific injury that he suffered in uh, in that rally car accident a couple of years ago, several years ago now, that he still can drive a Formula One car and he can drive it fast. So is it good enough to earn him a full-time drive and get him back into Formula One? I don't know. I think that's a question for for somebody that's, uh, you know, (laughs) has a little bit more bankroll than I do (laughs) and also a Formula One team. But I I think he's definitely made a very good case for himself. Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, the other thing that makes the newest lately, Vettel saying that his title lead is a reward for Ferrari's hard work. And it's kind of true because of Ferrari's consistency and their, their reliability. That's why Vettel still has the lead in front of Hamilton because of his consistency and Ferrari's ability to be effective in the development side too. They were fast in Australia. Now we're in Hungary and they were fast too. So that consistency and yes, track does make a big difference and Hungary was a track that maybe was favorable to the Ferraris with hindsight, but still Vettel is happy with at least the hard work shown by everybody involved. Definitely. And I, I think the the big difference between Ferrari and Mercedes was that when we got to Albert Park in uh, Australia at the beginning of the year, that I, I think that first of all, Ferrari surprised everybody with their with their tactics, which has been a bit of their their Achilles heel over the past couple of years, where they managed to pull off the undercut and and it worked for them. But not only that, they were able to hang on the back of the the, the Ferrari or sorry the Mercedes. They had speed, and it was pretty obvious after the first couple of races that perhaps it was Mercedes that had a you know the the, the catching up and the work to do to try and uh, keep up with Ferrari. And I, I think the real wake-up call, and uh, well, obviously, I, th- I know it was a wake-up call, was the, the horrible weekend that they had at, uh, at Monaco. And they, they put in the work, and uh, all credit to them. They, they really managed to iron out those kinks that they had with the Mercedes uh, this year. And up until Hungary, it really seesawed and gone the way of the Silver Arrows. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in a couple of weeks when we get to the last couple of races in the European calendar. And then we start to move over to North America and then close up uh, the year in Asia and then in South America. So but it's good, I, and I do agree with uh, with with Vettel, and it's a it's a nice way to recognize uh, the, the the people at Ferrari that have uh, really given him a competitive car this year. So we'll we'll see whether or not uh, he's echoing these same words at the at the end of the season, or if they're just a, a first half wonder. But I don't think so. I think uh, that they're legit, and I think they're for real this year. And now, in a sort of a transition, Haas is saying that the trend in Formula E is still not a threat to Formula One. And we all agree, and it's not necessarily being a threat. And I think eventually Formula One's going to have to, to think where it stands on how they operate their car with, with fossil fuel or other sorts of energy. But still, Formula E is becoming at least the leader, and it's kind of racing. So uh, I have to say, Mark, Formula E. Seeing it up close, quite impressive. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I can understand Gunter Steiner's uh, sentiments that uh, that that Formula E isn't a threat to Formula One at the moment, and obviously, it's not going to be. However, when you look at teams like Mercedes and Porsche that are axing their DTM and the World Endurance Championship programs to to focus on Formula E, you have to think that there's something interesting going on there and something worthwhile for these the, these big companies to to do that. And also, and this is something that we've speculated, apparently even Ferrari is considering entering Formula E in one way or another in the future. Now, whether it's, that's going to be as some sort of, yeah, whether it's a, like their own works team or whatever it might be, that remains to be seen. But finally, that is, I think, a, you know, a big development because I think that uh, obviously Ferrari are kind of like the traditional and I think obviously one of those iconic sporting franchises or teams anywhere in the entire world and i don't I, I think it's almost pretty much synonymous with formula one and just the i don't know i guess the power and the glory and just the you know those powerful engines and everything like that so to see that they're considering entering formula is a uh, really an interesting development from my point of view the day Ferrari announces that it either becomes part of Formula E or one of their brands like Fiat or Alfa Romeo does, I think it will be a coup for Formula E. And I still think this championship is going somewhere. The belief in the amount of money invested in this championship by the founder, by the organizers, it's looking towards the future. It's not just this year. It's not just this the last three years. It's about the future as well of look bringing electric racing might be one way to convince people that look electric cars okay it might be convoluted and then this argument might be uh, just one to help convince people but but still it's something that could be important in how we view cars mobility electric mobility and it's a forum and it does bring people closer to different type of technologies and it is a fun weekend. It's a fun event. The racing itself, Mark, I have to say, the amount of overtaking that I saw with my own eyes, it was quite impressive. The circuit was impressive for Formula E. Montreal was a longer one than the rest of the season. And it was more spectacular. A lot of overtaking, some great racing, wheel-to-wheel, some bump. It was, well, what we always want to see as a Grand Prix. That's exactly what it was. So what do you think is the difference? Because now you've watched uh, both in a, in a fairly short period of time. Uh, you were at the uh, Canadian Grand Prix at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve at uh, the beginning of June. And now just uh, a month and a half later, you watched the Montreal E-Prix downtown. So what what did you notice? Like, how did the two series compare and where did they differ? Obviously, speed is a big one and obviously the power units are another one. But what what were the similarities, at least, that you found between Formula E and Formula One? Drivers wanting to win is probably the similarities. And that's a conversation that was held in the media center at a few different times is the level of drivers. It's pretty high. And what's truly the big difference between a Sebastian Buemi and Lucas Degrassi and a Magnus Eriksson, Marcus Eriksson, or a Sergio Perez, right? It's the same level of drivers. One of them got brakes and the other one didn't. And that's usually the biggest difference. So you have high-level drivers in a championship, in a... Chassis that's a little stronger than Formula One. Like, you can bump wheels. You can hit the wall a few times before it actually breaks. And you do have a little more spectacular racing. And it's 
different. So it's kind of like a Monaco in a way that it's it is in a city, but it's not like uh, boring. The cars are very narrow and they're very small. We even Formula One cars, by the way, are small when you stand next to them and you imagine them they're bigger because on TV, but they're quite small. Uh, but the amount of space needed for them to overtake is smaller than Formula One. They don't have to accelerate for as long. It's, it's quite impressive and it is enjoyable. The amount of noise, which is reduced to a minimum, right? There, there's no big combustion engine noise. It's very enjoyable. It's family friendly. And I I know I might be rambling here, but I, I do feel this championship has a big future where it can become the leading of its own. Like Formula One will be for, for regular cars or for open wheel combustion engine type of cars. And electric cars will be Formula E will be the pinnacle. And it'll be an equal in a way that it's the pinnacle of its own kind. That's very interesting. And uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of uh, your sentiments. But you were also talking about the circuit too. Do you feel that the the, the circuit that they had for the Montreal E-Prix was, um, do, do you think it really played to the, uh, I, I guess, the, 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 the characteristics, the, the performance of the cars? Yeah, because it pushed the cars. Uh, and I think that's the biggest difference between this circuit and the rest. This circuit was a little longer than the uh, the other one this season, so you kind of have to push the car a little, a little bigger to get the same amount of performance. And we've seen many different teams being performant. We've seen the Audis being fast. Tachita was fast as well, winning the second race and being on the podium in the first one with Jean-Éric Vang. And we've seen Renault being fast, but very unlucky. And because Sebastian Buemi had to push his car to the edge to get the correct line, to get the times, and had the wall doing so. So, yeah, it was a circuit that was challenging. And you had to be able to execute the bus stop chicanes correctly and to execute the right exit of turn three to carry on that speed to the straightaway so it was a challenging circuit but the drivers were pleased they were happy to have to push the car around and that's kind of the goal of the of the thing so i am interested to see the next evolution of formula e where they don't have to switch cars mid-race and where they can actually have a little faster car and a little bit better mechanics so can they can continue to push the car around a track like this but no for the future i do feel this championship is going to bring exciting racing and that's what it's all about we want to see exciting racing and uh, the the fact that the differences between every car is so small because right now it's Yes, some teams built a lot of their own drivetrains and parts of the chassis and stuff, but it's still more streamlined. It's still similar from team to team, so the the performance is kind of similar. So you have a sort of parity. So you have that aspect, and it bring it makes for good racing. It makes for close racing, and the fact that the chassis is strong and makes for drivers that are confident and seeing a hole they're going for it. So no, it made for two great races on Saturdays and Sunday. And you were saying earlier that uh, that the, the the will to win between the drivers is uh, is there definitely in Formula E, but uh, th- there were some tense moments on the first day of the of the weekend, was there not? <laughs> it was crazy. Sebastian Buemi comes out of his car and his car and start yelling at Daniel Apt of Audi, start yelling at other drivers too. 
because uh, he felt he was bumped into. He felt he was not giving the proper space. He felt he was bumped into coming out of the pits. And anyways, he, he was mad and that was caught by television. And even in his post-race comments on the media pen, which I was attending, he was telling us how I feel they're dirty, they're a dirty team, they've been doing those kind of things all year, all season. Anyways, it was drama, and it was fun to see drivers wanting to win, and it's the agony of the, the thrill of ex, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat basically Lucas de Grassi winning on the Saturday and finishing fifth on the Sunday enough to win the championship and was celebrating it was an amazing moment Audi winning the drivers championship with Lucas de Grassi Renault Gams winning constructors championship and for Renault what a terrible nightmare weekend everything that could have gone wrong went wrong Starting on the Saturday with 10 points ahead, crashing in FP2, free session two, uh, having to hurry up to build the car for qualifying, not having a good qualifying, taking a 10, a 10 grid penalty, 10 spot grid penalty, starting 12th instead of first. Lucas Degrassi, his rival for the championship, gets pole, gets three points, leads down to seven, wins the race. Oh, it was. Like a Cinderella weekend for Audi and for Lucas Degrassi, and a nightmare one for Sebastian Boemi and Renault Idams. Yeah, it's sometimes that's uh, just the way it goes, and <laughs> unfortunately, uh, it just uh, came at the wrong time for uh, for Boemi. But it's it's great to hear. So, do you know if it's uh, if Montreal's back on the the calendar for for twenty eighteen for two more years? The contract two more was years. three years okay. for sure. So there's uh, two more races for sure. Uh, but I imagine that we will see this continue. If it's not in Montreal, I might leave Montreal for a few years, come back after, depending on the uh, the outcry, because it, it did create some sort of controversy because of what well, people were not aware that it would be locked in or having to be encumbered by this race more than they would have imagined. So we'll see what are the ramifications of it. But I imagine with the success it was on TV, with the success it was on the, uh, the gate, it wasn't full, but there was a lot of people, especially on Sunday. And it was quite intense racing and i have to say the accessibility of the drivers of the series to to just walk around the pits and see how it's done to get to talk to mechanics to drivers to try to understand it's quite different than formula one at that level and it's quite fun you see uh, just walking around the pits talking to you and it is more accessible and it does feel like more for the quote-unquote for the people so i kind of like it the fact that it's in the city and kind of bringing the race to the people yeah that's pretty cool and i, I think that would be just absolutely amazing even just to, to be able to to rub shoulders with a guy like alan prost uh, even uh you know in the pits or one of the media areas or something like that uh, i mean uh he's uh he's a legend when it comes to uh to racing so we we've already touched on it uh, a little bit uh, a couple of times here and there in the in the program already today kevin but i thought maybe as we start to wind up for this week and uh since it's uh the summer break who do you think has been who's over delivered maybe not uh over delivered but uh, who do you th- who's impressed you in the first half of the formula one season and on the flip side who's disappointed definitely vettel has to be the one that impressed me uh taking any advantage that he can to get points and get points over hamilton 
and the eye of the tiger, the killer instinct, calling whatever you want. One thing that Ferrari had trouble last year was getting points out of strategy and making chicken salad out of you know what. And this year, when they were in bad spots, they still managed to get points out of it and still managed to make the best of situation that would get Sebastian Vettel with still the leading championship right now. So I have to say that's what impressed me. Ferrari's way to strategize this year and how to get Vettel the most amount of points to the detriment of Raikkonen, but it doesn't matter. It's not about Kimi. It's about Vettel winning the Drivers' Championship. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point and uh, kind of makes you wonder whether or not uh, Raikkonen's going to come back. Uh, apparently, they're going to uh, offer both of those guys contracts and uh, they're they're going to announce it at the uh, Italian Grand Prix at the, the beginning of September. So whether or not uh, Raikkonen is going to get a new contract and whether or not he wants a new contract to go back to Ferrari for 2018 is a completely uh, different question. But I'd have to say that uh, the, the team that's disappointed me the most uh, this season Season. And it's not McLaren, surprisingly enough. I'm, I'm going to go with Williams. I think that uh, they've really disappointed this year. They've, they've kind of been, I'd say, on a little bit of a downward trend over the last couple of years. But there, there's been too many races uh, you know, throughout the first half of the season where I think that they've been uh, completely uh, anonymous. And when you look at uh, the, the times, especially at the, the Hungarian Grand Prix the, uh, the other week, that you had uh, Lance Stroll and then Paul DeResta. I mean, they, they weren't really all that far off of each other. And uh, you've seen it other times too when uh, when Massa was in the car and, uh, you know, he, he might have been a little bit faster than Stroll, but, you know, Stroll wasn't that far off of uh, Massa's times and uh, <laughs> they just weren't as uh, competitive uh, fighting with the, with the teams that uh, you would expect. So it'll be uh, something to watch for next year to see whether or not uh, Patty Lowe will be able to uh, influence that team uh, with uh, with his, his knowledge and everything that he brings to the table because uh, they they have too many resources i mean they have mercedes engines they have the pedigree they they know what it takes to win so to see them kind of in the in the i'd say lower half of the middle of the pack is a little bit uh, disappointing they they say that they're they're still want to be that team that finishes fourth in the championship uh, this year but uh, they're they're going to have to do a lot of work to to actually pull that off uh, before the end of the season in my opinion no absolutely but one team that does disappoint me as well mark is mercedes because of the performance of this car they should have got a little bit more out of it this year i imagine because of reliability issues, because of uh, not luck, the opposite of luck, <laughs> maybe for Hamilton. But mm-hmm. I think with the way the car is running and the, the the talent of Hamilton, they should be in the championship lead. So I have to say I'm kind of disappointed by the Merck so far. Well, if you think it uh, how don- dominant that they've been over the past couple of years, it is uh, th- this is I would say unfamiliar territory for them, but it- it's definitely not what we've been used to, to seeing from them for what the the past three seasons when they've won was it sixty odd something Grand Prix. So, yeah, it-, it is disappointing, but it also goes to prove that uh, they're, that they're not completely invincible, and uh, Ferrari being able to get back to the top of the sport and and, and being competitive and winning races is also good as well 
But I, if they could really get another team in that mix that uh, could also challenge for for victories more regularly than these kind of like uh, aberrations, if you will, when like we we had an Azerbaijan with uh, all these <laughs> bizarre things going on and Vettel getting a penalty for smashing into Hamilton and then Hamilton's headrest coming loose and just the race order being flipped upside down. And then you have a guy like uh, Valtteri Bottas that ended up at the back of the pack on the first lap and then comes back to finish second on the afternoon is uh, kind of interesting. But uh, it would be great to see another team up there challenging for for race wins. But uh, I'll give that to you. I think that's a a fair shout that uh, Mercedes has been uh, disappointing because definitely not the season that they want to have, but by their very own very, very high standards, obviously. Exactly. Alrighty, Kevin, I think that's a, a great place to, to leave it off uh, for this week. Uh, before we go, what's up on the network this week? Well, you can follow soccer today as well. Every day, Monday to Friday, we talk about the beautiful game with a soccer perspective. A lot of rumors lately from Montreal, and we're talking about as well the uh, Major League Soccer continuing the regular season. We're, we're getting to a point where the playoff picture is starting to be clear and some teams have a lot of turning around to do, like Montreal. So we've been talking about this lately. And as well, the Premier League starts this weekend. So we will be talking about this as well a lot this week. So you can follow me on Twitter at Kev Larame and at SportsPodNet to make sure you never miss a show we do here. And uh, on demand as well, everywhere, Sports Podcasting Network and at SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. Very cool. And I'm glad that the Premier League is back. I've missed it over the past couple of months. So we might not have Formula One, but there's plenty of soccer to watch uh, on both sides of the Atlantic here in North America with Major League Soccer and all the European leagues starting up. So uh, a great time of year for for those of you like us who are big fans of the beautiful game. But uh, for now, that's us signing off. You can follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. And that's a wrap. We'll catch you again this time next week. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us sportspodcastingnetwork.com Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?